such a great joy for me to be at De Montreville again. And for me, this is a curious ce uh, celebration for it's just 40 years since I was ordained and 40 years since I gave my first retreat. I was teaching arithmetic at the time to small boys and was taken away to give a retreat to the men of the Royal Air Force in 1941, just after the Battle for Britain. And as the retreat went well, I've been giving retreats ever since and have never taught arithmetic again, thank God. <laughs> I've been coming to De Montreville now for some 14 years. I came here two years after Elmer, who's been in the kitchen since the days of Teddy Roosevelt. And I gave my first retreat here, 1968, and it has always been for me the most enjoyable of all the retreat houses. Not only because Doc Stokel is such an entertaining man, uh, but also because of your beautiful grounds and the wonderful silence you keep. The uh, only tragedy for me has been that the Vikings never seem to win the Super Bowl. I've said many masses and offered up rosaries, and every time they've failed. I was down in Convent, Louisiana for their 50th anniversary of their retreat house, and I told them that was the only weakness about de Montreville, and they all cheered derisively, <laughs> until I pointed out to them that the saints hadn't done much good either. <laughs> but it is a joy to be here, and um, this retreat in particular for me is my last before I go back to my own country, and I've, this is the fourth I've given here, four in St. Louis and four in Louisiana, so I'm at the, on the last stages of decline. Now about the retreat, of course, that we are being recorded, and so we should chalk up, I think, for the sake of those who will hear the tapes in other parts of the world, that we are 66 of us, and that we come from Fairbow and White Bear and one man from Hastings, and I must mention the Internal Revenue Department from Minneapolis and St. Paul, who certainly need our prayers badly. <laughs> now, I'd like, I obviously am, the retreat is for you and not for the people listening in who may play the tapes later. But the, my concern, obviously, is with you. Uh, there is that problem that I have to keep to a certain time and Freddie will be flashing lights and God knows what else to tell me when to stop. So if I suddenly vanish from the chair, you'll know I've not been taken ill, but that I've had the signal to shut up. <laughs> I have a problem with you all because we don't speak English quite the same. And though I try my best and practice saying Tijuana, Brass Mass and all these other lovely sounds, I fail. And therefore I sound, I suppose, like the Ewings to you. No, you sound like the Ewings to me, and I don't, God knows what I sound like to you, Mrs. Thatcher, I hope. So therefore, it sometimes will take quite a long time in a retreat before you've understood what I'm saying even. But I'll do my best, and if I go wrong on certain words, or much worse, if certain words have a blue meaning over here, which don't have in my country, then you'll t have that dirty joke gratis.
Well, now I want first to speak about St. Ignatius because he is, after all, the inspirer of the retreat movement and he is its patron. And so we do owe, in the first place, to him uh, that we have a retreat house like this at all. It was his idea as a converted soldier, an old soldier of 29, badly wounded, and um, who read our Lord's life while lying in bed, we owe it to him that he wrote the spiritual exercises and suggested the value of going away from home for a few days. In our present world, where everything is in such a rush, I believe, even for our health point of view, a retreat is a remarkable experience. To keep quiet and to be away um, gives us a chance to break the circle of fatigue which we all have to endure. I don't know if it struck you, it certainly struck me, uh, that what's happening today is the speeding up of life. It's not better, it's just more quick. And that therefore, that like computers are only get bringing the results out quicker than they did by hand. And today, with, with flying, traveling by air, it's amazing what's happened. The whole United States to me now is as small as England. I went from New Orleans to Cleveland in two hours, and I saw damn all of the United States. And most of us here who have to travel by air, we simply go from airport to airport, holiday in to holiday in. We never see the country at all. So therefore now the journey from New Orleans to Cleveland, which is practically Canada, takes me less time than it used to take me to go to school when I was a child. I'm no better for hurtling through the air at that speed. I go on a Greyhound bus only it can be very painful after the first two days. But we are all going so fast and commuting and doing all those things, we need a break. When I first came to you here, I was living on those islands out in the Atlantic. I was there eight years, 20 miles, 27 miles from the British coast and 3,000 miles from Boston, thank God. <laughs> and the odd thing there was that nobody commuted. We had four hours a day extra. Carpenters got up in the morning in their pajamas and started making yachts uh, without even putting their clothes on. And I suddenly realized what a pandemonium we live in where we spend so much of our time just getting to work. And of course the, the strain on our nerves and the fatigue and the general depression that comes with that um, is a thing to be fought. Nothing is better than coming on a retreat. Not only did St. Ignatius advise that, but then he wrote a book, The Spiritual Exercises, to tell us what to do. And although I don't want to spend much time on it, it is, I believe, a very valuable book. It's the only book written by a saint which you don't read but do. Because he was an old soldier, and he sat down after his own experience how to conduct a 30-day retreat. I've made two in my life. They're most brilliant. It's rather like having a, some injection, a controlled disease. In the course of 30 days, you, you're one day exalt, exalted, and the next day you're depressed, then you're near suicide, then you see the angel Gabriel in a vision. 
And by the time you've done 30 days, you've practically suffered everything in life. It's extraordinary. You come out of it, you don't need anything more for the rest of your life. And perseverance and keeping the silence, it has an extraordinary effect on you. Now, your retreat's only three days, but even three days can be an enormous aid during the rest of the year. And one of the things that move me most here is when men arrive, like you did tonight, everybody seems to be so pleased to be back. Well, we ought to be, because Father Stokel and uh, Father O'Leary and the secretary and uh, the cook and everybody has done so much and to make the gardens beautiful. And if the weather is at all uh, pleasing, it should be a total rest. And I hope it's fine enough for you uh, to go out and pray in the grounds. So Ignatius, therefore, gives us certain simple rules. The first very clear rule is uh, that I've got to make the retreat myself. There's no such thing as Father So-and-so giving me a retreat. You can't do it. The book's called Spiritual Exercises. And even with a thing like jogging, you've got to do it yourself. You can't hire a man from the Twin Cities to come and jog for you. You can't get some sort of person to roll, swing his torso around on the ground so that you lose weight. No, you've got to do it. St. John of the Cross, the great mystic, pointed out that just like your body can put on weight, your soul can. I bet many of you here have got a fat soul. So we are bad-tempered, we can't get up in the morning, we drink too much, uh, we're sloppy, and we've got bad habits. And, and then all of a sudden, when you come on retreat, you have a chance to slim. So the first thing is, I must make the retreat myself. I quoted so often, you've probably heard me before, the marvellous phrase the Cardinal Newman used, one of the most powerful. Newman said, I can no more think with a mind not my own than I can breathe with lungs not my own. If you only took that at the start of the retreat, you can't breathe with somebody else's lungs, nor can you think with somebody else's thoughts. Thoughts are second-hand. Thoughts you get from books, they may help a bit, but ultimately, if I don't say yes, I agree to that, and that's mine, it just goes by and tomorrow you've forgotten it. And that's why I do urge on you very much that every time I give a conference, I give a text or so, it's up to you to read the Bible, the Old Testament, to read the texts in the Gospel that I suggest, and make it yours. Otherwise, it's simply words. And I think Newman's views are very good. When I was young, I think as a Catholic, I always thought that if I read a thing by St. Bonaventure or St. Thomas Aquinas, or even by our Lord, just reading it did me good, it doesn't. Even the Son of God, what he said, unless I take it into my mind and agree with it or disagree or weigh it up, I make no progress. So Ignatius' greatest contribution was that, to get away from home, then to make the retreat myself. He also laid down that the um, priest giving the conferences mustn't do more than 15 minutes. Many Jesuits are now in purgatory for breaking that one. <laughs> we had a dear old man, Father Carey, always, when he was preaching, somebody said, has he finished? And the housekeeper said, he's finished, but he hasn't come down yet. 
And you get the day with the mass, some of these priests, they yak at every three seconds, they say more and more and more and more words, and you get worse and worse, you go to hell. No, the silly thing is uh, that the priest is only supposed to speak for 15 minutes. And he doesn't have to be a priest. Ignatius was a layman when he gave the first retreats. No, he says 15 minutes. I can't do that or you'd want your money back. <laughs> and also because Freddie won't let me stop till uh, I've got to do 30 minutes and 15 seconds before I can ring off. So therefore, but the talks are meant to be simply to put before you the subject matter in such a rough way that you can go away and have your own thoughts about it. And it's a most rewarding thing to do that. I'm very pleased that last week we had some marvellous group here and how many of them told me they'd read the Bible for the first time. Because I, with Cardinal Newman, I urged it on them and therefore they actually took the Bible out and read the passage. And all of a sudden, whole new worlds are opened up to you. So that's all I can do. Each talk will never go beyond 30 minutes. I never do that if I can possibly help it. And once or twice, I've got to keep it down even shorter than that. So it'll be about 25 minutes, the talk. The rest of the day is yours. And you think, pray and read and think about it, or simply rest so that when the next retreat conference comes, you're in a quiet state and not all het up. Ignatius then goes on to say, uh, very usefully, that we don't come here to get knowledge. Because some people read and read and read and read and read, and that's second-hand reading. We come to savour, as that's the word Ignatius used. You come to read a passage of the Gospel, or whatever it is, and to turn it over and savour it, and make it your own. That's why a lot of reading isn't good. I had nothing to do with Father Stokel giving you a copy of my book. That was entirely his idea. I didn't know till I got here. Um, it, one or two pages I will refer to because there are quotations, luckily, which I haven't got with me here, which you could then read. But otherwise, whether you read that book or the Bible or the books in the library, as far as you can find any, you don't want to read a great deal. And then St. Ignatius is so good in pointing out that some people go quickly and some go slowly. That some people are very slow and some people very fast. And then what I've found in all my years giving retreats, we're all totally different. You've no idea how different we are. Well, I'm a different nationality to you to start with. And there may be other people, I have them on many retreats, who are Mexican or wherever they come from, they're not all United States. Then you get again, history is my subject, I've loved that all my life, but some of you are mechanics and some of you are farmers and one of, one of you I know is a doctor because he's already treated my ankle. You never know who's going to turn up on a retreat. One retreat I had 21 non-Catholics, Protestants on it, not here. I didn't know quite what to do. It's a bit very awkward to be so charitable to say everybody was right when they were, aren't. But, uh, but I love to have, uh, I like to think that Protestants can share our beautiful grounds and there's a great deal that where we have all in common with them. So if there are any here today, you're most welcome. And although I have to speak in a Catholic way, um, I don't want in any way to hurt anyone's feelings. 
But you get, you don't know who you're going to get. You get people who are alcoholic. I don't know any of you, so I'm not dropping any clangers, but I would have said that you always have some people who are AA. You've got at least probably 10 people who haven't practiced the faith for years. Then you've got some who are trying terribly hard to be holy and have made a retreat every year. Then you've got people now, one year, two, two weeks ago, we had eight experts on computers from Mankato. They all sat in a row over there, and I was terrified that the answer would come flying out too quick. <laughs> you just don't know what's going to happen at De Montreville. So we just, we are, some are old, some are young, some are sick, some are, are, are mourning, they just lost a dear one, some have got bad health. So there's really each person has to be on their own. In one retreat house, I had a commercial traveler, as we call him, a sort of salesman, who brought me one of those awful pens every time he came to see me. I ended up with 15. None of them worked. You just It's most extraordinary to give a retreat. So each one of us is our own master as far as the retreat goes. And I do want to stress that very, very much. At the beginning of each exercise, uh, St. Ignatius says, that we ought to stand just near the place where we're going to pray and say a prayer, recollecting ourselves. That's why I say that prayer to the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow morning I'll say it sitting down here so that it will be recorded, but otherwise I'll stand for the more each time. I say that prayer to the Holy Spirit because we're asking the Holy Spirit to renew the face of the earth and how much it needs renewing. And when we come on retreat, we don't come on retreat just for ourselves. We come on retreat to pray for the church. And we want, God can restore the face of the earth in a few minutes if he wants, and he has done so. I'm always so impressed with the story of Poland, because after all, most of you here, and certainly I myself, at the end of the war, you'd have said Poland was finished. No country suffered more was occupied by two more revolting powers than the Soviet Union and Hitler. They had all those awful concentration camps and they had starvation. You'd have said that country could never recover. And then we sold the pass at Yalta and they're behind the Iron Curtain. And yet today, it's the most Catholic country in the world. It far outstrips Ireland or Italy. 91% of the Poles, the working classes, practice their faith. Their trades unions are all devout people. And it's the only time ever that Russia doesn't know quite what to do about them. And out of them came our Holy Father, the Pope. And what a remarkable man he's been. When he was shot the other day, as one of your commentators said, he's probably the best loved man in the world. Whoever would have thought that would be said about a Pope? He's now gone back to hospital, and they say he'll be many months. He's got some poisoning, probably, uh, from the transfusion of blood. I met a lovely Italian friar down on Long Island, and he was telling me that the Pope was no longer Polish because he's had blood from Calabria and from Milano, and, <laughs> and it's pretty well killed him. <laughs> So I do think we ought to, if we kept silence for him or for Mother Teresa, you ought to have a film of her tomorrow night or Saturday night. And really, they're the two best-known people in the world. 
and the Holy Ghost could do that again. So I would stress to you that when we come on retreat, we do come to pray for the church. And we have three days when we can be contemplative. I know your silence is marvelous. I'm always helped by a very wise saying of Dionysius the Elder, you, who you won't have known because he lived in BC 432. But he made a remarkable statement, say only those things that improve on silence. Don't speak unless you're actually going to improve on silence. So at breakfast, if you haven't got any butter, it would improve on silence to say, pass the butter. But on the other hand, sometimes priests at mass keep on spouting as though they were improving on silence and the words of our Lord. No, we shouldn't speak in retreat unless it's going to have an end better than not talking. About coming to see me, I, after confessions on the second day, then I would be in my room as much as I can. But tomorrow, when I have five talks and have to prepare in between, I don't want to come to my room unless somebody's got a crisis. If you haven't got a bed, don't go away and not tell anyone, and then tell your wife when you get home. So if you're in absolute crisis or you're dying or something, just let me know, and I'll say a prayer for you. <laughs> uh, but, but Father, dear Father, Lear is here, the, the caring priest, as he's called. I don't know what he cares about, but he's called that. <laughs> and Doc Stokel's there, if you can catch him, if the horse is all tied up. Um, and they're very willing to help. And some of us, I think quite a number this time are new, have never been here before. And new people have the right to be told and helped, and if they don't know what books to read or are not quite certain, they should come forward, and I would gladly, uh, tomorrow, even tomorrow, if there's some quick thing I can do for you, I'd do it. So now it's getting near the time when I have to stop, and I would like to say a word about those who are going to listen in we don't know where. It's a strange thing. It's lovely for us all to be sharing our retreat with people who we never see. I've been in Australia and I found my tapes playing in the retreat houses there. You go to California and every man's got tapes in his car. Or much more touching, I went to two or three convents and all the poor old sisters who are now bedridden, uh, that's all they've got to listen to. And in England, a mother left by mistake some tapes in her son's house, so he put them on and he'd been out of the church for years he put them on, and he and his whole family are now back in the church. We just don't know with tapes. I hate them because it cuts my voice off from my face. You know I'm fooling, but some clot in Seattle or somebody will take offense because I made a joke about the Inland Revenue. <coughs> so therefore, it is a great disadvantage, yet I have to face, as so many others do today, it is maybe the best form of spiritual reading, and you never know who will be helped. I wish to goodness they could see the lovely grounds and the lake and all that, and to see you all here. And I think we ought to pray for anybody who in the future will hear these tapes. And the tapes are going to be entirely based on Cardinal Newman. I live now, I moved only a month or so ago, to the room next to the one where he lived, where he was received into the church at the age of 45. And so I, for my own sake, I've been reading Newman and praying from his sermons. I synopsized about 30 or 40 for myself, and I turned them over in my head, 
and then I suddenly realized what an original thinker he was. And because he was a convert and didn't go to a seminary, he sees the whole of faith in a most remarkable way of his own. That's what I felt. I tried them out on the clergy in Cleveland and they were duly impressed. And if you can impress priests, that's startling. And then I've been trying them out on the men for the last three weeks here. I, I picked the sermons for my own sake. I'm not going to quote all his words. I've taken sermons that helped me. I've added a bit of my, my own thoughts. And I hope you all add a bit with your own thoughts. But it, they are quite different to what we normally hear. Now, Newman made the eight-day retreat of St. Ignatius when he was a Protestant. Where I live is the smallest retreat house in the world. There are 13 rooms. And Newman and 12 other clergymen lived there for three years, and they made the eight-day retreat. They had no blessed sacrament. They didn't believe in the real presence. They had a cross without a figure. I say mass in that very chapel every morning now. And there they were, uh, quite on their own, and they had a book written by an old, old Jesuit, very dull man, I should think, and they read it all out, and Newman took notes on it, and later when he became famous all around the world, he often refers to St. Ignatius. So I feel that what he says very well supports what St. Ignatius wrote in the spiritual exercises. I've not said everything he wrote, and I've left out some of the key subjects because they take too long, and I've put in one or two strange ones like purgatory and the resurrection of the body because I've never heard ever those subjects talked about. And it seemed it would be a help for you and for me uh, to take the thoughts of a very great man. So I would ask you then at the end of the, uh, this talk, I'm sorry it had to go on rather longer than we usually do, um, I would like you very much to be sure you've got the Bible and that you know what you're going to read. I would like you then to pray very earnestly for the world tonight and to thank God for giving you this house, the beautiful garden, which doesn't come up by accident. I've never seen such hard work done to make it nice. So we ought to enter in and feel we're sharing the life of the Carmelites up the hill who are praying all the year round. When we come here for three days, we can do the same as they're doing. And we can pray not just only for ourselves, uh, but for our, each other and for those who may, perchance, we don't know, find these tapes somewhere and listen to them. It's a wonderful experience for me and for you, really, to feel that our retreat may be shared when we're dead. In my case, almost certainly I'll be dead, posthumous. And they'll all get sort of second-hand thoughts which will go on after the grave to haunt them. So therefore, that's what we want to think about uh, during the uh, retreat, and you'll let me know if there's anything that's seriously lacking to you tonight or tomorrow, and on the, the next two days I can usually see about 12 people uh, plus confessions, so that if you would like to let me know, uh, if you want to come along then do.